Section 45 of Celebrated Travels and Travellers, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Celebrated Travels and Travellers, Volume 1. Exploration of the World by Jules Verne. Second Part, Chapter 6, Part 2b. We must now leap over a period of forty years to arrive at Robert Cavelier de la Salle. During this time the French establishments have acquired some importance in Canada, and having extended themselves over a great part of North America. Our hunters and trappers scour the woods, and bring every year with their load of furs new information respecting the interior of the continent. In this latter task they are powerfully seconded by the missionaries, in the first rank of whom we must place Father Marquette, whom the extent of his voyages on the Great Lakes and as far as the Mississippi marks out for special acknowledgment. Two men, besides, deserve to be mentioned for the encouragements and facilities which they afforded to the explorers, viz. M. de Frontenac, Governor of New France, and Talon, Intendant of Justice and Police. In 1678, there arrived in Canada, without any settled purpose, a young man named Cavelier de la Salle. He was born at Rouen, says Father Chalvois, of a family in easy circumstances, but having passed some years with the Jesuits, he had had no share in the inheritance of his parents. He had a cultivated mind, he wished to distinguish himself, and he felt within himself sufficient genius and courage to ensure success. In reality, he was not deficient in resolution to enter upon, nor in perseverance to follow up an undertaking, nor in firmness in contending against obstacles, nor in resource to repair his losses, but he knew not how to make himself loved, nor how to manage those of whom he stood in need, and when he had attained authority, he exercised it with harshness and arrogance. With such defects he could not be happy, and in fact he was not. Father Chalvois's portrait appears to us somewhat too black, and he does not seem to estimate at its true value the great discovery which we owe to Cavelier de la Salle, a discovery which has nothing like it. We do not say equal to it except that of the River Amazon by Orellana in the 16th century and that of the Congo by Stanley in the 19th. However this may be, no sooner had he arrived in the country than he set himself with extraordinary application to study the native idioms and to associate with the savages in order to render himself familiar with their manners and habits. At the same time he gathered from the trappers a mass of information on the situation of the rivers and lakes. He communicated his projects of exploration to M. de Frontenac, who encouraged him and gave him the command of a fort constructed at the outlet of the lake into the St. Lawrence. In the meantime, one Joliet arrived at Quebec. He brought the news that in company with Father Marquette and four other persons, he had reached a great river called the Mississippi, flowing towards the south. Cavelier de la Salle very soon understood what advantage might be derived from an artery of this importance, especially if the Mississippi had, as he believed, its mouth in the Gulf of Mexico. By the lakes and the Illinois, an affluent of the Mississippi, it was easy to effect communication between the St. Lawrence and the Sea of the Antilles. 
What marvellous profit would France derive from this discovery? La Salle explained the project which he had conceived to the Count of Frontenac, and obtained from him very pressing letters of recommendation to the Minister of Marine. On arriving in France, La Salle learned the death of Colbert, but he remitted to his son, the Marquis of Seignelay, who had succeeded him, the dispatches of which he was the bearer. This project, which appeared to rest upon solid foundations, could not fail to please a young minister. Accordingly, Seignelay presented La Salle to the king, who caused letters of nobility to be prepared for him, granted him the seigneury of Cataraquai, and the government of the fort which he had built, with the monopoly of commerce in the countries which he might discover. La Salle had also found means to procure the patronage of the Prince de Conti, who asked him to take with him the Chevalier Tonti, son of the inventor of the Tontine, in whom he felt an interest. He was for La Salle a precious acquisition. Tonti, who had made a campaign in Sicily, where his hand had been carried off by the explosion of a grenade, was a brave and skilful officer who always showed himself extremely devoted. La Salle and Tonti embarked at Rochelle on July the 14th, 1678, carrying with them about thirty men, workmen and soldiers, and a recollet monk, Father Hennepin, who accompanied them in all their voyages. Then La Salle, being conscious that the execution of his project required more considerable resources than those which were at his disposal, constructed a boat upon the Lake Erie, and devoted a whole year to scouring the country, visiting the Indians, and carrying on an active trade in furs, which he stored in his fort of Niagara, while Tonti pursued the same course in other directions. At length, towards the middle of August of the year 1679, his boat, the Griffin, being prepared for sailing, he embarked on the Lake Erie with thirty men and three fathers, recollets, former Killimackinac. In crossing the lakes St. Clair and Huron, he experienced a violent storm, which caused the desertion of some of his people, whom, however, Tonti brought back to him. La Salle arrived at Mackillimackinac, and very soon entered the Green Bay, but during this time his creditors at Quebec had sold all that he possessed, and the griffin which he had dispatched laden with furs to the fort of Niagara was either lost or pillaged by the Indians. Which of these took place has never been precisely ascertained. For himself, although the departure of the griffin had displeased his companions, he continued his route and reached the river St. Joseph, where he found an encampment of Miamis, and where Tonti speedily rejoined him. Their first care was to construct a fort on this spot. Then they crossed the dividing line of the water between the basin of the Great Lakes and that of the Mississippi. They subsequently reached the river of the Illinois, an affluent on the left of that great river. With his small band of followers upon whose fidelity he could not entirely depend, the situation of La Salle was critical. In the midst of an unknown country, and among a powerful nation, the Illinois, who at first allies of France, had been prejudiced and excited against us by the Iroquois and the English, jealous of the progress of the Canadian colony. Nevertheless, it was necessary at all cost to attach to himself these Indians, who from their situation were able to hinder all communication between La Salle and Canada. In order to strike their imagination, Cavalier de La Salle proceeds to their encampment, where more than three thousand men are assembled. He has but twenty men, but he traverses their village haughtily and stops at some distance. The Illinois, who have not yet declared war, are surprised. 
they advance towards him and overwhelm him with pacific demonstrations so versatile is the spirit of the savages such an impression does every mark of courage make upon them without delay la salle takes advantage of their friendly dispositions and erects upon the very site of their camp a small fort which he calls crevecoeur in allusion to the troubles which he has already experienced there he leaves tonti with all his people and he himself anxious about the fate of the griffin returns with three frenchmen and one indian to the fort of cataraquai separated by five hundred leagues from crevecoeur before setting out he had detached with father hennepin one of his companions named Acan, on a mission to reascend the mississippi beyond the river of the illinois and if possible to its source these two travellers says father chalvois set out from the fort of crevecoeur on february the twenty eighth and having entered the mississippi ascended it as far as forty six degrees of north latitude there they were stopped by a considerable waterfall extending quite across the river to which father hennepin gave the name of st anthony of padua then they fell i know not by what mischance into the hands of the sioux who kept them for a long time prisoners on his journey back to cataracoy la salle having discovered a new site appropriate to the construction of a fort summoned tonti thither who immediately set to work while la salle continued his route this is fort st louis on his arrival at cataracoy la salle learned news which would have broken down a man of less hardy temperament not only had the griffin on board of which he had furs of the value of ten thousand crowns been lost but a vessel which was bringing him from france a cargo worth eight hundred and eighty l had been shipwrecked and his enemies had spread a report of his death having no further business at cataraquai and having proved by his presence that the reports of his disappearance were all false he arrived again at the fort of crevacois where he was much astonished to find no one this is what had happened while the chevalier tonti was employed in the construction of fort st louis the garrison of fort crevacois had mutinied had pillaged the magazines had done the same at fort miami and then fled to Makilimackinac. tonti almost alone in the face of the illinois who were roused against him by the depredations of his men and judging that he could not resist in his fort of crevacois had left it on september the eleventh sixteen eighty with the five frenchmen who composed his garrison and had retired as far as the bay of the lake michigan after having placed a garrison at crevacois and at fort st louis la salle came to Makilimackinac, where he rejoined tonti and together they set out again from thence towards the end of august for cataraquai whence they embarked on the lake erie with fifty-five persons on august twenty eighth sixteen eighty one after a journey of two hundred and forty miles along the frozen river of the illinois they reached fort crevacois where the water free from ice permitted the use of their canoes on february the sixth sixteen eighty two la salle arrived at the confluence of the illinois and the mississippi he descended the river sighted the mouth of the missouri and that of the ohio where he raised a fort penetrated into the country of the arkansas of which he took possession in the name of france crossed the country of the natchez with whom he made a treaty of friendship and finally passed out into the gulf of mexico on april the ninth after a navigation of one thousand and fifty miles in a mere bark the anticipations so skilfully conceived by cavelier de salle were realized 
he immediately took formal possession of the country, to which he gave the name of Louisiana, and called the immense river which he had just discovered the St. Louis. La Salle's return to Canada occupied not less than one year and a half. There is no ground for astonishment when all the obstacles scattered in his path are considered. What energy, what strength of mind were requisite in one of the greatest travellers of whom France has reason to be proud, to succeed in such an enterprise? Unhappily, a man, otherwise well-intentioned, but who allowed himself to be prejudiced against La Salle by his numerous enemies, Monsieur Lefebvre de la Barre, who had succeeded Monsieur de Frontenac as Governor of Canada, wrote to the Minister of Marine that the discoveries of La Salle were not to be regarded as of much importance. This traveller, he said, was actually, with about twenty French vagabonds and savages, at the extremity of the bay, where he played the part of sovereign, plundered and ransomed those of his own nation, exposed the people to the incursions of the Iroquois, and covered all these acts of violence with the pretext of the permission which he had from his majesty to carry on commerce alone in the countries which he might be able to discover cavelier de la salle could not allow himself to remain exposed to these calumnious imputations on the one side honour prompted him to return to france to exculpate himself on the other he would not leave others to reap the profit of his discoveries he set out therefore and received from Seinlay a kindly welcome the minister had not been much influenced by the letters of monsieur de la barre he was aware that men could not accomplish great achievements without wounding much self-love nor without making numerous enemies la salle took the opportunity to explain to him his project of discovering the mouth of the mississippi by sea in order to open a way for french vessels and to found an establishment there the minister entered into these views and gave him a commission which placed frenchmen and savages under his orders from fort st louis to the sea at the same time the commandment of the squadron which was to transport him to america was to be under his authority and to furnish him on his disembarkation with all the succours which he might require provided that nothing was done to the prejudice of the king four vessels one of them a frigate of forty guns commanded by monsieur de bourgeau were to carry two hundred and eighty persons including the crews to the mouth of the mississippi to form the nucleus of the new colony soldiers and artisans had been very badly chosen as was perceived when too late and no one knew his business setting sail from la rochelle on july the twenty fourth sixteen eighty four the little squadron was almost immediately obliged to return to port, the bowsprit of the frigate having broke suddenly in the very finest weather. The inexplicable accident was the commencement of misunderstanding between Monsieur de Beaujau and Monsieur de la Salle. The former could scarcely be pleased to see himself subordinated to a private individual, and did not forgive Cavelier this. Nothing, however, would have been more easy than to decline the command. La Salle, had not the gentleness of manner and the politeness necessary to conciliate his companions. The disagreement did but gather force during the voyage by reason of the obstacles raised by Monsieur de Beaujau to the rapidity and secrecy of the expedition. The annoyances of La Salle had indeed become so great when he arrived at St. Domingo that he fell seriously ill. He recovered, however, and the expedition set sail again on November 25th 
A month later, it was off Florida, but, as La Salle had been assured, that in the Gulf of Mexico all the currents bore eastwards, he did not doubt that the mouth of the Mississippi must be far to the west, an error which was the source of all his misfortunes. La Salle then steered to the west and passed by without perceiving it, without deigning even to attend to certain signs which he was asked to observe, the mouth of the Mississippi. When he perceived his mistake and entreated Monsieur de Beaujeu to turn back, the latter would no longer consent. La Salle, seeing that he could make no impression upon the contradictory mind of his companion, decided to disembark his men and his provisions in the Bay of St. Bernard. Yet, in this very last act, Beaujeu manifested an amount of culpable ill-will, which did as little honour to his judgment as to his patriotism. Not only was he unwilling to land all the provisions, under the pretext that certain of them being at the bottom of the hold, he had no time to change his stowage, but further he gave shelter on board his own ship to the master and crew of the transport, laden with the stores, utensils and implements necessary for a new establishment, people whom everything seems to convict of having purposely cast their vessel upon shore. At the same time a number of savages took advantage of the disorder caused by the shipwreck of the transport to plunder everything on which they could lay their hands. Nevertheless, La Salle, who had the talent of never appearing depressed by misfortune, and who found in his own genius resources adapted to the circumstances of the case, ordered the works of the establishment to be begun. In order to give courage to his companions, he more than once took part with his own hands in the work, but very slow progress was made, in consequence of the ignorance of the workmen. Struck with the resemblance of the language and habits of the Indians of these parts to those of the Mississippi, La Salle was very soon persuaded that he was not far distant from that river, and made several excursions in order to approach it. But if he found a country beautiful and fertile, he did not make progress towards what he was in search of. He returned each time to the fort more gloomy and more harsh, and this was not the way to restore calm to spirits embittered by sufferings and the inutility of their efforts. Grain had been sown, but scarcely any came up for want of rain, and what had sprung up was soon laid waste by the savages and the deer. The hunters who wandered far from the camp were massacred by the Indians, and sickness found an easy prey in men overwhelmed with ennui, disappointment and misery. In a short time the number of the colonists fell to thirty-seven. At length La Salle resolved to try a last effort to reach the Mississippi, and in descending the river to seek help from the nations with which he had made alliance. He set out on January the 12th, 1687, with his brother, his two nephews, two missionaries, and twelve colonists. He was approaching the country of the Shawnees, when, in consequence of an altercation between one of his nephews and three of his companions, these latter assassinated the young man and his servant during their sleep, and resolved immediately to do the same with the chief of the enterprise. De La Salle, uneasy at not seeing his nephew return, set out to seek him on the morning of the 19th with Father Anastase. The assassin, seeing him approach, lay in ambush in a thicket, and one of them shot him in the head, and stretched him on the ground, stark dead. Thus perished Cavelier de la Salle, a man of capacity, says Father Chalvois, of a largeness of mind, of a courage and firmness of soul, which might have led him to the achievement of something great. 
if with so many great qualities he had known how to master his gloomy and atrabilious disposition and to soften the severity or rather the harshness of his nature many calumnies had been spread abroad against him but it is necessary so much the more to be on our guard against all these malevolent reports as it is only too common to exaggerate the defects of the unfortunate to impute to them even some which they had not especially when they had given occasion for their misfortune and have not known how to make themselves beloved what is sadder for the memory of this celebrated man is that he has been regretted by few persons and that the ill success of his undertakings only of his last has given him the air of an adventurer among those who judge only by appearances unhappily these are usually the most numerous and in some degree the voice of the public we have but little to add to these last wise words la salle knew not how to obtain pardon for his first success we have related subsequently by what concurrence of circumstances his second enterprise miscarried he died the victim it may be said of the jealousy and malevolence of the chevalier de beaujeu it is to this slight cause that we owe the failure to found in america a powerful colony which would very soon have been found in a condition to compete with the english establishments we have narrated the beginning of the english colonies the events which took place in england were highly favourable to them the religious persecutions the revolutions of sixteen forty eight and sixteen eighty eight furnished numerous recruits who animated by an excellent spirit set themselves to work and transported to the other side of the atlantic the arts the industry and in a short time the prosperity of the mother country very soon the immense forests which covered virginia pennsylvania and carolina fell beneath the hatchet of the squatter and the soil became cleared while the hunters of the woods driving back the indians made the interior of the country better known and prepared the work of civilization in mexico in the whole of central america in peru in chile and on the shores of the atlantic a different state of things prevailed the spaniards had extended their conquests but far from acting like the english they had reduced the indians to slavery instead of applying themselves to the cultivation appropriate to the variety of the climates and of the countries of which they had made themselves masters they sought only in the produce of the mines the resources and prosperity which they should have endeavoured to obtain from the land if a country can thus rapidly attain prodigious wealth yet this factitious system cannot last long with the mines a prosperity which does not renew itself must ere long become exhausted the spaniards could not fail to experience the sad result thus then at the end of the seventeenth century a great part of the new world was known in north america canada the shores of the atlantic and of the gulf of mexico the valley of mississippi the coast of california and of new mexico were discovered or colonized all the central part of the continent from rio del norte as far as terra firma was subject at least nominally to the spaniards in the south the savannas and the forests of brazil the pampas of argentine and the interior of patagonia escaped the observation of the explorers as they were destined to do for a long time yet in africa the long line of coasts which are washed by the atlantic and the indian oceans had been patiently followed and observed by navigators at some points only colonists and missionaries had tried to penetrate the mystery of this vast continent 
senegal congo the valley of the nile the abyssinia were all that were known with some degree of detail and of certainty in many of the countries of asia surveyed by the travellers of the middle ages had not been revisited since that epoch we had carefully explored the whole anterior part of that continent india had been revealed to us we had even founded some establishments there china had been touched by our missionaries and japan that famous sipango which had exercised so great an attraction for our travellers of the preceding age was at length known to us only siberia and the whole northeast angle of asia had escaped our investigations and it was not yet known whether america was not connected with asia a mystery which was before long to be cleared up in oceana a number of archipelagos of islands and separate islets remained still to be discovered but the islands of sunda were colonised the coasts of australia and of new zealand had been partially revealed and the existence of that great continent which according to tasman extended from tierra del fuego to new zealand began to be doubted but it still required the long and careful researches of cook to banish definitely into the domain of fable a chimera so long cherished geography was on the point of transforming itself the great discoveries made in astronomy were about to be applied to geography the labours of fennel and above all of picard upon the measure of a terrestrial degree between paris and amiens had made it clear that the globe is not a sphere but a spheroid that is to say a ball flattened at the poles and swollen at the equator and thus were found at one stroke the form and the dimensions of the world which we inhabit at length the labours of picard continued by la Haye and cassini were completed at the commencement of the following century the astronomical observations rendered possible by the calculation of the satellites of jupiter enabled us to rectify our maps if this rectification had been already effected with regard to certain places it became indispensable when the number of points of which the astronomical position had been observed had been considerably increased and this was to be the work of the next century at the same time historical geography was more studied it began to take for its foundation the study of inscriptions and archaeology was about to become one of the most useful instruments of comparative geography in a word the seventeenth century is an epoch of transition and of progress it seeks and it finds the powerful means which its successor the eighteenth century was destined to put into operation the era of the sciences has already opened and with it the modern world commences end of the second part chapter six part two b end of celebrated travels and travellers volume one exploration of the world by jules verne